we started a series last week titled Heart After God. And uh, many times we, in our humanity, have a difficult time understanding how someone who could be as messed up as David was in many areas of his life is the only person that the scripture says that God said was a man after his heart. Like reconciling that can be difficult. And we talked about a few things last week and today we're gonna talk about two things that are essential or I call them important attributes of a heart after God. And it's these things. It is humility and repentance. Humility and repentance. Now, we look at that and he's like, man, those things are like, how do they connect? Well, how difficult is it for a proud, arrogant person to say, I'm sorry? As a matter of fact, I would say, without humility, there is no repentance. I don't know if you've ever gotten into an argument with your spouse and even if you know you were wrong, you're like, I, I can't, I can't, not yet, maybe in an hour, maybe two, right? Like, we, we, we do these different things. Man, that's pride. Humility lets you quick go and repent and forgive and, and restore. And so what is humility? The dictionary says that humility is the lack or the, sorry, let me say it the right way. A modest or low view of one's own importance. A modest or low view of one's own importance. That's what real humility is. I'm not talking about false humility. You, you, you ever know, know, met anybody who's falsely humil- humble? This old thing. Contemplating something is like, this, oh, no. It's false humility. But what does the Bible say? Look at what David writes, if you can throw it up on the screen. Psalm 138, verse 6. You can write it down. Psalm 138, verse 6. David writes, and he says this. The Lord is on high, yet he regards the lowly, but he keeps the proud from afar. Right? Though the Lord is on high, he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Now, it, it might be difficult to reconcile this thought. I'm going to read it one more time. Though the Lord is on high, he regards the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. You know, the Bible says that there's people who cry out, Lord, Lord, but they don't know him. As a matter of fact, there's multiple verses and things that talk about the fact that there are people who with their lips honor, but their heart is far from them. We may fake it and convince people of being humble, but if the Lord in your heart knows there is pride, he will keep you at a distance. And sometimes the false humility, we look at somebody and it's like, oh, like, what is it? Or what is it that's happening? I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Is your heart truly in it? Have you ever eaten a plate of food that tastes really good and the ingredients were like whatever, but the person just made it with a lot of love? Like, I'm a proponent. I, I truly believe that you can feel the love in the food. Come on, Chef Tony, you know when somebody loses their heart, it don't taste the same, right? It's not the same anymore. Just whip it together. Just do it. And sometimes we, we don't have our heart truly in it. We're doing things out of religion. Well, I'm at a church. You're talking about, yeah, we're at a church, but we're not religious. You don't do things out of religiosity. 
Religiosity is probably one of the most divisive things. Religion is one of the most divisive things. Some of us, I pray not in this room, but I, and if you are, you're going to get saved today, but some of us are Christian by culture, Catholic by culture, Protestant, Lutheran, whatever. Oh, because I grew up going to Catholic church, or I did this, or, you know, you have people who are born in Israel, they say they are Jewish, but do you know that they have a huge population in Israel that is what they consider secular Jews or non-practicing Jews? They're still Jewish, but it's a cultural Judaism. And sometimes there is this pride in us that because I grew up going to church, I should be in a different place, but if your heart's not in it, or if somewhere along the line there was a brokenness there and no healing, we fall away. When we try to understand everything, you're not called to understand, you're called to obey. And the rationalism, the eternal two-year-old mentality in us, but why, but why, but why? If you've ever dealt with a two-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. But why, but why, but why? Just because. Yeah, I don't need you to understand it. I just need you to go do it. But why do I gotta clean my room? I just need you to go obey. Humility, being humble. I wrote this thought, humility is an attribute of the heart after God. Humility is an attribute of a heart after God. James chapter four, verse six. James four, verse six. If you've got your Bibles, go to James chapter four, verse six. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along in the Sky Bible, but I highly encourage you to go ahead and get a physical Bible and bring your Bible with you to church, highlight your Bible, mark things. Oh, I was told as a kid, you don't write in your books. This is the word of God that is alive and it is there and the Lord is speaking to you. So highlight it, write in it and, and, and go, go to town. James chapter four, verse number six, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Resist the proud, gives grace to the humble. Flip over to the next book, 1 Peter. Go to chapter number five, and we're gonna read verses five and six. This is Peter writing, and he says, likewise, you younger people, submit to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. I find that funny, because we love to tell young people, submit to your elders. And as a young person, I'm still young, I think. <laughs> Sometimes we look at people and are like, and who do you submit to? You always need to submit. There's somebody you're supposed to submit to. Look, the, the verse said it, because we, we can quote the first part. Submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Church, can I tell you something? A humble heart does not exalt itself. A humble heart does not exalt itself. If you go to verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, it says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. A humble heart does not exalt 
self. A humble heart does not exalt self. Let God do the exalting. Let God lift you up. I'm reminded right now of when Jesus was talking to the disciples and to the different people, and he said the story or the parable of going to like a wedding feast or a big party. And he says, when you get there, don't sit at the table of honor. That perhaps somebody more honorable than you walks in and they humiliate you and tell you, please come sit over here. But rather, go sit in the back. That when the person in charge sees you, they will come and bring you to the seat of honor. We need to allow God to be the one that exalts us instead of us trying to exalt ourselves. Can we take a little detour here for a second? We need to let God be the one that vindicates us. We need to let God be the one that defends us. We need to be, let God be the one that stands and fights for you. You know, many times we want to vindicate ourselves, defend ourselves. No, but I got to say it. If I don't say it, who's going to defend me? Anybody ever heard that saying before? Can I tell you who can and wants to defend you? God. And I feel sometimes God's there is like, well, you think you can do it? Go to town. Let's watch. Let, let, let's see. Entertain me, Jester, right? No, we need to allow God to be the one that defends, God to be the one that vindicates, God to be the one that lifts you up, God to be the one that exalts you. But what are people going to think? Who cares? Who cares if people think something amazing, but God doesn't? Who cares if people think you are the most amazing thing, but the things that you're doing displease God? Life is but a moment. Eternity's forever. So a humble heart does not exalt itself. Here's another thought I wrote down. A humble heart points to God being the one who truly did it. A humble heart points to God being the one who truly did it. Last week, we read out of 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. And many of us have read that story. Probably every single person on the planet has heard the story of David and Goliath. And there's a specific section where David, he stands up and he says, I'll go fight this giant, right? Like, who does that? He's defying God, right? And everybody tells him, David, you're too young. David, you're, you're too, you're, you're, you're a scrawny young guy. You're a little shepherd boy. And this guy's been fighting since his, youth, I mean, since his old age. I, <laughs> I, fought, I saw a post a long time ago that said, don't be weary of like the young military people. Think, be afraid of the old man that's still doing it. <laughs> They know what they're doing, right? Not a 25-year-old Navy SEAL, but the 40-year-old that still can do it. He knows. He knows what he's doing. So they're telling, Goliath, they're telling David, Goliath's been fighting for a long time. Like, forget that he's a giant. He's a man of war. David proceeds to say, 
When I was a shepherd and I was in the field and a lion or a bear took one of the sheep, I went after it and I took the sheep out of its mouth. And when it turned around to come against me, I grabbed it by the beard and I killed it. Pastor, what's humble about that? The next verse where he says, and the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this giant because who is this uncircumcised Philistine, right? So what was David doing? He was pointing to the fact that it was God. He started really well. But can I tell you what? David stayed humble throughout his entire reign. Go to 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel chapter number 22. 2 Samuel chapter number 22. This is the chapter right before David gives his last words. I'm not going to read it all. There's a, it's a long uh, I was going to say psalm. It's a long chapter, but a lot of these verses you find in different psalms throughout the scripture. So David says this, the Lord, in verse number two, 2 Samuel 22, 2 Samuel, wow, that's a lot of twos. 2 Samuel 2, 2, verse two. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my strength in whom I will trust my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. I will, be call, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Now, again, this guy beat Goliath, he becomes king. It is song of David, right? You remember the verses. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. David was a warrior, a man's man. And he cries out and says here, you'll save me from my enemies. Watch, keep going. Uh, go to verse number 18, 17. He sent from above, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Look at verse 29. You are the, my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness for by you I can run against the troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Look at verse 35. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. Verse 47, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Verse 48, it is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies, says the next verse. David's not taking any credit. He is giving all of the credit of every single one of his victories and deliverance to the one who truly did it. Amen. How does that look like for you and me? You at your workplace, 
were tasked to figure out a way to do something, and you pray, and you, you, you seek the Lord, and you, you come up with this idea, you submit it, the numbers increase in the company, and they call you over, and it's like, wow, that was so amazing. You are the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, I don't know how we ever ran this company without you. Me? No, can I tell you something? I prayed, and God gave me the idea. Amen. No, no, no. When, when, I, when I was studying for my passing my NCLAT or my medical boards, I, I, I prayed and God helped me remember what I needed so that I can be his hands and feet in the operating room. Yes. Who are you giving credit to? Yeah, I am so smart. No, you're not. God has made you the way you are and he uses your giftings and he uses your talents. So give him the glory because the day that you start thinking it was me who did it is the day that down the hill we start to go. Pride and arrogance, man, they're ugly. It gave Satan an eviction notice out of heaven when he thought he could be like God. When reality, he was built to reflect God's glory back. But he thought it was his light. I like science. I think it's cool. And I love looking at the moon, but the moon has no light of its own. Could you imagine the moon looking at the sun and saying, I don't need you? We'd never see the moon again. Guys, we are not the sun. We reflect the sun's glory. And when we understand, and I don't care what level, you can be a, 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 a worker at a low-level, quote-unquote, thing, because nothing is low. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of when uh, President Kennedy went to see one of the, the companies that was working on putting the Apollo programs, the astronauts on the moon, and he was walking through the place, and there was a guy like at 2 in the morning, it was a super late in the night, he was mopping the floors, and the president, President Kennedy said, why are you doing that at 2 in the morning? You're just cleaning these floors. And he said, excuse me, Mr. President, I'm not cleaning floors, I'm putting a man on the moon. Talk about buy-in. How are we going to get people saved when each and every one of us do our role, whether it be sweeping a floor or coming up with a presentation that blows everybody's socks off and God gets the glory because it's about people getting saved and people knowing Jesus and people repenting and people getting to know God because if it's not about that, we miss the boat. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you a question. I'll, let, I'll do it straight at you so that you can put it on the Instagram. She does her Instagram stuff sometimes. When's the last time you led somebody to Jesus? I'm sorry. It's not only my job. I am the pastor of 3W Church. It is my job to study and deliver a well-balanced diet to the sheep. But can I tell you, evangelism of just telling somebody to come to church so that the pastor leads them to Jesus is not what the Bible says. Let's break that down. Sorry. Not from this series, but we're going to break it down. Go into all the world and make disciples is what Jesus said. He didn't say, go tell everybody to come visit church so that the pastor can tell them about Jesus and then they get saved. 
Yes, if you walk in, you're going to hear about Jesus, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus, and we're going to make an altar call, and I pray that the Lord impacts you and you get saved. But as a Christian, when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? When's the last time you prayed for somebody? When's the last time you told them God's the only way? When's the last time that you looked and like David said in the entire book of chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, it's God, it's God. It's always been God, it'll always be God, it'll never be me, it'll always be him. Let's stop taking credit for what God gave us. Let's stop taking credit for the ideas. Humility is an attribute of a heart after God. Humility. 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 I wrote down this thought. A humble heart can recognize it's wrong and truly repent. You know one of the greatest difference between King Saul and King David? Their reaction to confrontation. See, when Saul was confronted with his sin... When Samuel the prophet went to Saul and said, you shouldn't have done the sacrifice. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Saul's response was putting up an excuse why what he did was okay. David's response to confrontation from the prophet Nathan was, I have sinned against God. So let's talk about that. Because humility allows for true repentance. What is repentance? I found one of the, in my opinion, greatest definitions on repentance. It's going to come up on the screen. Uh, I had never seen it this way. But repentance is the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. I did not write this. I found it as I was studying for this. The act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what God has commanded, that's repentance. Leave that on the screen for a minute. Why? Let's think about this. If I tell you I'm sorry for calling you whatever name I called you because you don't like it, and I say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then I call you the same name the next morning, was there a change? Was there a shift? And how many times don't we do something we know God said is not supposed to be done, and we repent, God, I'm sorry, forgive me for doing this again, and we hang up the conversation with the Lord and do it again. Oh, because his grace is sufficient. Was there real repentance? See, what, about, what do we know about David? Man after God's own heart, becomes king, all these different things. And David was in the wrong place one day. The Bible says it was the time that the kings were at war, and David stayed home. And he's walking, and he's looking out of his palace, and he sees Bathsheba, and she must have been fine. And he keeps looking at Bathsheba. And the seeing becomes a look, and the look becomes a stare, and he goes and asks somebody, who's the little man over there showering? She's the wife of so-and-so. Bring her. 
The seeing became a look, the look became a thought, the thought became a question, then he invited her over, and they end up being together. Time passes. Clear blue did not exist back then. And all the pregnant women know what I was talking about. Time had to pass. Before she realized, I'm pregnant. And she tells David, I'm pregnant. And David's like, I got to fix this. Bring Uriah back from the war. Think of the time. I, I want you to chronologically think of the time that's taking place, people. There was no text message. There wasn't even a telegram. There was a guy on a horse that went over there and said, hey, they say they need Uriah back at the thing. Uriah comes and David says, hey, you're amazing. I've heard you're doing awesome stuff. So he's lying to him, right? He's like talking to him like, why did you bring me back? Oh, because you're so awesome, right? Go spend the night with your wife. Go be with your family. And Uriah says, I, I can't. My, my platoon is at war. Get me back on the C-130 and back to Afghanistan, right? Like get me back to my team. And he stays at the steps of the palace. They tell David, no, Uriah was here all night long. He didn't go be with his wife. So David then, I got to fix this. He gets Uriah drunk. Now he's an enabler. He gets him so drunk, and I can just imagine stammering Uriah having more righteousness in that moment than David and saying, I can't go be with her and slurring his speech or whatever, right? Like, I can't do it. My platoon. So then David says, I got to fix it. So he gets a piece of paper, parchment, whatever, feather. <laughs> Put Uriah in the fiercest battle in the front line. And when the battle is at the fiercest, tell everybody to go back and leave him alone. Closes the letter, seals it, and gives it to Uriah and says, go take it to Joab. Because back to the board. <laughs> Gives his death sentence to the commander. The commander does it. David, all he did was win, right? So they lose that battle. Uriah dies and a bunch of people, and no, everybody's like, what are we going to tell David? So Joab says, go tell David that we lost the battle, and when his anger arouses in him, tell him, and your servant Uriah died also. So they come and they start telling David, David, we lost the battle, and David's probably, I don't know what David looked like, but if he was white like me, he probably started getting red, right? Like, I don't, I'm just saying, I don't know what he looked like, I'm just giving you an analogy. He, he starts probably getting indignant, he's mad, you can tell, his face is transforming. And he says, but your servant Uriah also died. He's like, man, we win some, we lose some. That's not verbatim, but that's the story, right? We win some, we lose some. And this is what David thinks, because this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that when the time of mourning had passed in Bathsheba, side note, studies and culture believe that the time of mourning was seven days. So a week after Uriah is dead, that Bathsheba has mourned him, he brings her to the palace, he marries her, and he thinks, nobody knows. 
everybody thinks that she's with child. And I'm just being a good king. Because Uriah was one of my 30. Y'all didn't know that? Uriah was one of his top 30 fighters. Read at the end of David's life, Uriah's in there. I brought her in. I'm taking care of her. He looks like a good guy. Nobody knows. Oh, but God knew. God knew when Saul was doing what he wasn't supposed to be, which is why he sent Samuel. So now we're at first, uh, 2 Samuel. We're still in 2 Samuel. Chapter number 12. 2 Samuel. Chapter number 12, by the way, chapter 11, verse 27, so you know that I'm telling you the truth, says, and when her mourning was over, David sent her and brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him the son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So now we get to chapter number 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, there were... Two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought and nourished, bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate of his own food, it drank from his own cup, and it lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take one of his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for her, for the wayfaring man but he, who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb. He prepared it for the man and had, who had come to him. And this is how I know David would get upset when he got bad news. So look at verse number five. says, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. This is a man he didn't even know, right? And then Nathan, and says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, this man who has done this shall surely die. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Have you ever seen those Instagram things or whatever? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yep, somebody got it on video. You know who's videotaping it? God. You know who sees every secret thing that we think we're hiding? God. Every thought that we think nobody knows? God. Every action we think nobody saw? God. What was David's response? Verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. Can I tell you something? If you do something wrong to someone, you didn't just do it to them. You also did it to God. And something that we miss in our lives a lot is that we know we tick somebody off. I ticked off Joel, and I go to Joel and say, Hey, Joel, man, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he says, Pastor, we're good. We're solid. Everything's fine. But I never take a moment to say, God, I hurt one of your children. Can I tell you something we do as parents, my wife and I? Because our kids get on each other's nerves all the time. Because they're kids, right? They love each other to death, but they can get on each other's nerves. When something happens and we tell them, Abigail, go say I'm sorry to Alexandra, 
or Alexandra goes, I'm sorry to Abigail, or Samantha, whatever it is, when they're done with that part and they're done with their time out, we ask them, have you asked God for forgiveness for hurting your sister? Pray and ask God to forgive you. Trying to teach them you're not just hurting someone, you're also hurting God. David doesn't say, I hurt Uriah. I hurt Bathsheba. I hurt their family. I destroyed their home. David says, I have sinned against you. Why was he able to repent that way? Because he was humble enough to recognize when he was wrong. Now, leave a marker there because I'm going to come back to it. I want to talk a little bit about David's repentance. Go to Psalm chapter 51. Perhaps you've read this psalm before, not understanding or realizing that Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance for what happened with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, David begins to cry out to God and listen to, I can just picture David weeping as he tells God, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. He says, wash me again in, in, in verse number uh, seven. And I looked up that word, wash me there is not like, you know, you get a dish and you just clean off the dish. It's like when you have like a carpet or something that's got like a big stain or this big thing and you have to like get something and literally beat the dirt out of it. It was the hard washing of something that was stained and dirty that you couldn't just rinse it off. David says, wash me, beat me from my sin. Take it thoroughly out of me. I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, your desire, your truth in my inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Man, that's a cry of repentance. We break when we realize we hurt God, not people. Now, side note, if you hurt somebody, you should apologize to them. And more important and biblically and theologically sound, even if the person tells, doesn't say I'm sorry and is not sorry, you're still called to forgive them. Oh, they haven't said, I'm sorry. That apology wasn't good enough. I heard that one the other day. <laughs> you could imagine my face. I was like, what? 
Say that again? Uh Uh-uh. Jesus multiple times says, if you can't forgive, you're not forgiven. Not by people, by God. Newsflash. I crucified Jesus. My sin put him on the cross. And God forgave me. And then I'm not going to forgive a person who cut me off in this highway and I honk the horn and hope that they crash? Bro, really? Sorry. Humility allows you to recognize wrong, which leads to repentance, which is leaving what God said was wrong to begin to obey what he commanded you to do. But they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. You know, I made a few other points here that I haven't shared yet. I want to just tackle them quick. I, I mentioned it already. God knew what David had done. And so I wrote this thought, even if man doesn't know, God knows. Even if man doesn't know, God knows. And David writes this in Psalm 69, 5. If you can just throw it, uh, I have it right here. Psalm 69, verse 5. Look at what David writes. Oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Think about for a second the amount of time that had passed. Let's go back to that math in your, in your head for a second, okay? I'm sorry, I don't mean to explode your head, but let's think about it. There was no way of testing for a pregnancy that you would know at four weeks or whatever. There was no sonograms. There was no different things, and we know teleportation doesn't exist, so there's all this time, and then she, she, she comes, so she's at least, I would venture to say probably four, maybe five months pregnant at the time that he's marrying her, and she has the baby and all these different things happen. It's thought that it was probably a year after that Nathan confronted David. So for a year, David thought, nobody knows. But what does his prayer of repentance say? He probably wasn't sleeping very well because he's saying, put joy in me again. He probably had no joy. Who knows? Maybe he would look at Bathsheba and think of shame. Maybe he would see the baby and think of shame. I don't know what was happening, but I do know that time had passed. And because he hadn't repented and made it right, he had to be confronted by the prophet. And sometimes we think nobody knows and we're thinking, but guess what? God has a timer. And if you don't repent, the sin will come out. And can I tell you something else? Just because you repented and God forgave you doesn't mean that you'll be free of consequence. I didn't like that one, Pastor. <laughs> if I cheat on my wife, one of two things will happen. She might forgive me or she might feed me to an alligator. But aside from those two options, I would be disqualified from standing here. Catch that. I would pay a consequence with my job because of my role as pastor. 
You work for whatever, Baptist hospital or whatever. You work for, you know, McDonald's. You wouldn't get fired. God would know. David had lots of consequences. He didn't get Scott off, get off scot-free, people. Go back to, I told you to leave a marker, right? Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because sometimes we think, oh, but I repented. Everything should be fine. It should be okay. I said I'm sorry, but my toe's still broken. Look what happens. The rebuke from God through Nathan to David was intense. As a matter of fact, put on your seatbelt because watch, watch, we're going to read it. Verse number seven, Nathan said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if it had been too little... I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him and with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. Because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversary against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it in secret. But I will do this thing before all Israel and the sun. And David says, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. David should have been killed according to the law. His consequence should have been death. So he got spared from the death penalty. And he was forgiven. And he's still regarded as a man after God's own heart because of his humility and his repentance. But do you know what? The sword never left his house. Do you know that one of his sons is the one that tried to take the kingdom from him and publicly slept with all his concubines? That baby died in the very next chapter. He had consequence. Pastor, I, everything was going so well in this message. <laughs> I need us to understand something, guys. We need to understand something. There's consequences for our actions. And we may repent. And God will forgive us. And eternity is coming. But church, there's things that some of us keep hidden and secret and we think nobody knows. And we've gotten away with it for a month, a year, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And the, God, and the Lord is saying this morning, if you don't deal with it today and repent and get right, I might have to send you a Nathan. Do you not think that God has given opportunities to every other of these people that fall and they're like, but how did it happen? I'm sure someone along the way, someone said, let's get right, let's get right. I was recently dealing with a person on something 
And I remember three years, a friend of mine, I was like, hey, you know, I was talking about something. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm no longer associated with that entity. And they didn't tell me why. They just said, I'm no longer associated because of some things. And I spoke to the person, and I brought it out, and they have chose to ignore, so I walked away. And a year later, it came out. You know what would have happened a year ago? If they got right, possibly a different outcome. Let's not wait. Let's get right before the Lord. So as the worship team comes to the altar, this is what I want. This is my heart for me. This is, I'm, let me talk to myself for a second. Search yourself. Ask, is there something hidden I need to get right with God for? And as we worship, I want you to talk to God. If you can put that slide, the question, the way I wrote it, what is in us that we need to humbly come before God and repent for? And so as we worship for the next few minutes, take a moment and look in the mirror. And is there something that you ask for forgiveness for from a person but never from God? Is there something that is going on that you haven't truly repented for, you just continue to fall back into it? Well, this morning, in faith, come before him and repent. Tell him, I'm sorry, God. Ask him for the strength. Do what David did. He talked about the way that God was with him, the way that God delivered him, the way that God did the things. And just say, God, I'm here. I'm broken. I'm contrite. I hurt you. Forgive me. Because as we do that, church, we, with humility and repentance, those are the two attributes or two of the attributes of a heart after God. So let's stand to our feet, find your spot. If you want to sit at the altar, you can sit at the altar. If you want to find a corner, if you want to kneel, if you want to do whatever it is, but just take a moment and just you and God. I want to remind you, he already knows. He already knows. We're not fooling people. Better said, we may be fooling people, but we're not fooling God. So just take a minute as we worship however you feel comfortable before the Lord. Again, if you want to sit at the altar, if you want to kneel, if you want to go to a corner, this is you and God and take some time to get right with Him.